but keep getting your sweets. Um, I'm going to answer a question. I got a, an amazing question, an amazing question. Um, what about couples who are struggling um, with infertility? What does the church teach about IVF, which is called in vitro fertilization, um, and other methods to help couples get pregnant, okay? So IVF is, uh, I mean, it's in the name itself. In vitro is Latin for in glass. This is where a sperm cell and an ovum cell or an egg cell are taken um, from each donor, uh, combined outside of the human body, and then implanted. So the reason the church would have problems with IVF is because in this process, you create uh, multiple embryos, meaning an embryo is the joined um, an ovum cell and a sperm cell that have come together, fertilized, and are their own unique human person. 23 pairs of chromosomes, uh, 46 chromosomes. Like they, that is the human is there. The human life is there, and they have multiple of them. They implant some and then store some or destroy others. So we would say that the the whole process, because the destruction of embryos is part of this process, is you are destroying human life in order to get there, okay? So that would be the problem that we would have. Uh, so for every live birth that takes place, there are an average of 6.72 embryos that are destroyed. So we would say in the process of IVF, um, there takes place the ending of almost seven human lives for every one life that comes from it. So that is why the church would say like, what about those seven other human lives that were destroyed or remain frozen? Um, I'm not going to get to that one, but uh, the topic of snowflake children, look that up. That's a pretty interesting moral topic that the church is dealing with. Um, but anyway, so we would say because of this reason, we would say that IVF should be avoided. But I remember being, um, you know, priests are human, and I have to understand that as well, but I'm more critical of priests just because, you know, they can cause more damage uh, when they speak, when they speak either off the cuff or without knowledge. I was at a God Teens, which is our our teen group. Um, you know, all the freshmen get together at a couple's house. All the sophomore, you know, all the sophomores get together at a couple's house. So I was at St. Joseph's here in Lincoln as a new priest, and we were talking about IVF came up and kind of gave the same explanation. And a girl raised her hand. She was a junior, and she said, "A priest said that nothing good can come out of IVF, but I came out of IVF," and I was like. He definitely misspoke. So that's why I always include always include this slide. Even though IVF is problematic because it actually destroys, like on an average, almost seven human lives for one. Remember that any child that comes from this process is still a human life who deserves all love and dignity that a human life is owed. So you can talk about the process, but the human that comes from it, God will, God will work with us. God works and supplies a human soul, and if we, if we, if on our end with combining the body, is different or outside how it was created. So, those would be the two main things that I would say. So, what do we do with couples who are struggling? My best friend and his wife struggled for two years. They were infertile. They're uh, practicing natural family planning, where she was charting her cycle, and it was actually through charting that she found that there was problems in her cycle. Um, and, you know, in natural family planning, like couples, um, I, yeah, 
I could just dig into that one, but that's a whole a whole nother thing, the beauty of that. But anyway, my best friend and his wife, um, after charting, um, discovered that she had problems. And so they went to a doctor and she was diagnosed with endometriosis. Endometriosis is where uterine tissue develops outside the uterine wall, um, outside the uterus, and even on other organs, and it, it blocks fertility. It is very hard. Uh, the weird part is, is that pregnancy is the best cure for endometriosis, but it's harder to get pregnant. Anyway, so what they did was NAPRO technology. Uh, in Omaha, this is very cool that we're so close to it. Um, Pope Paul VI Institute. Institute is in Omaha, and they develop NAPRO technology. Um, in short, IVF is like bulldozing through the problem to try to to just try to make a kid happen. NAPRO technology is like, what are your infertility infertility problems, and let's heal those. So um, she had she had multiple surgeries to remove um, the scarring and the development of uterine tissue outside of where it should have been. Uh, she had hormone therapy. Um, which at home, and so then uh, my best friend Dave was, like he administered the shots and he's like, every day I get to just stick it to my wife. Um, so he he loves puns and that's why we love him. Um, so through that, then they got pregnant and again, cleared up the endometriosis. So there is a, a pro-life means that in the end, after studying it, like, well, let's look at the success rates and you tell me. So IVF has a 15 to 30% per cycle, which it's $10,000 to $30,000, depending on what state you're on. So IVF has a 15 to 30% success rate per treatment per cycle. Compared to NAPRO technology, 45% chance of pregnancy after one year, 60% uh, after two-year treatments, and up to 80% in long-term care. Um, yeah, so the the pro-life one ends up like because it's interested in how do we heal what's broken or what's hurting rather than like let's just try to blast through it and implant an egg and and just hope for the best and try to control hormone levels. So uh NAPRO technology. Um so Pope Paul the Sixth Institute in Omaha, Nebraska, you know, helped uh my best friend and his wife uh, for sure. So Amazing question. I love this question. Um, yeah, hopefully that wasn't too much of a divergent from. Uh, let's just say any question you have, I have stuff like this in response. So um, there's nothing too nitty gritty to to get into. But, but yeah, does that kind of answer that IVF? And then how do we help people who are struggling with fertility? Okay, I just think that's. Doesn't that make more sense? Just like, hey, let's heal the actual problem rather than just kind of push through it. I don't know. All right, let's flip over to healthcare. Okay. So again, we think that every human, um, every human has human dignity. And that means that the poor and those vulnerable, they deserve whatever they need. They deserve surgeries, they deserve medication, they deserve everything a quote-unquote 
uh, wealthy person or someone with means could get, they do as they deserve it as well. Um, their status in life should not be the thing that gets in the way of them being healthy. So because of this, the church's response was to be an instrument in making sure that healthcare is out there. Um, so, What's pretty amazing is the, the church's response to this is throughout all of history, the Catholic Church really has been instrumental in making. Um, I mean, it's all non for profits, any Catholic hospitals there. Um, so. If you've never heard of Saint uh, Fabioa is how I would say, I guess, with Roman because I's or E's uh, Fabioa, she's responsible for establishing the first hospital in the Western Roman Empire built in Rome about 400 AD, okay? So today, Catholic nonprofit healthcare systems is around the world. It is a worldwide operation. In 2010, 26% of the hospitals were nonprofit Catholic hospitals. 26% of the hospitals in the world. That was 2010. I, I really wish they would update that statistic because I want to know what it, what it still is. Um, so we've always been that what stinks is that in places where, you know, drugs are expensive and this costs money and this costs money, we still save the patient's money, but it's still the function. You still have to charge things, but there is a lot of times that Catholic charities supplant or supply a lot of the costs. I just included a picture of um, Sister Jocelyn, uh, Sister Jocelyn. She's in India and she's both a religious sister and a surgeon um, in uh, in Alton, Missouri. Um, the Sisters of St. Francis of the Martyr St. George, I know that's a long one. Uh, they're Franciscans orders or have long names, but there's also a, um, a pulmonary doctor who's also a nun as well, and they run a hospital. So the sisters run the hospital, the nurses, they have they supply probably half of the nursing on staff for free, and then a couple of the doctors are nurses as well. A couple of the, sorry, a couple of the doctors are nuns as well. So yeah, Catholic Church and nonprofit. Uh, this is just a wall of text, sorry, but 645 Catholic hospitals in the United States assist 87 million patients annually. I don't know the best ones to read. Um, over 5.2 million patients are admitted to Catholic hospitals annually. Um, where Catholic healthcare systems are in all 50 states, skilled nurses, hospice care, home care, assisted living, senior housing, um, all non-for-profit. And then I have another wall of text. Um, orphanages, 105 Catholic residential homes for children, orphanages, assisting annually uh, almost 19,000 youth. Uh, daycare, extended care for almost 90,000 children. So these are all uh, nonprofit uh, organizations. So they can keep the cost, they keep the cost as low as possible. Um, and then a lot of times we grant scholarships. I mean, our education here is we work with families. Um, if they show that they deserve the Good Shepherd Scholarship, like we work every angle to get um, scholarships where we can. Not everyone can get a scholarship. And because we are non, not federal funded, um, there is a tuition. Um, but yeah, we try to keep it as low as possible. 
but then yeah for our school system as well so in short the deal is with the healthcare system we try to get make sure um we came up with the original uh universal healthcare idea um it's been hijacked a little politically or a lot politically so it's very contentious um plus like government-run healthcare doesn't work that well if you ever worked with a veteran has anyone had a veteran who goes to va hospitals and slow is 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 one of the i don't maybe you had a great maybe they had a great experience but every veteran i've worked with has just been like i have to wait a couple more months till my surgery have to do you know um hearing aids one guy couldn't get hearing aids for for so long i think it was like six months completely deaf without them and he was just had to sit there deaf for six months um and he lost his hearing in service um anyway so so far like federal run healthcare that's an example anyway we pray that there's there's a good solution to this to get as many people the healthcare that they need um with the lowest possible uh again maybe your family had good experiences but every time i meet a veteran who's needed some it's just wasn't wasn't that good but anyway we pray that we can make it as as good as possible uh other healthcare things um so saint gianna's home again um uh, you know getting getting um getting any kind of healthcare they need for the kids or the moms saint vincent de paul that's another one boots on the ground if you feel a call to the poor um i can hook you up with that organization they do so much good i remember i was at saint joe's as a new priest and someone someone just came and they were like hi they're gonna shut off our water is there anything you can do and i'm like oh gosh i don't know uh you know i'm a new priest i've been a month there it's like i don't know um so but i contacted um you know the secretary there was like oh saint vincent de paul so they contacted um in the end that family not only got the water bill paid for for a couple months um then they went to their home to do a visit like because that's what they do they actually they don't just write checks at a distance like okay good luck to you they actually go to their home to see like do you need anything else they went to the home and found that there was no furniture and so what they did the first thing was get them three mattresses they didn't have mattresses so this mom and three of her kids were just on the floor uh well on clothes they had clothes the clothes that they weren't using they used as their bedding and so that's why i love saint vincent de paul was they actually go to the home and they also screen because you know sometimes you're like is this person for real or not um we had one like two months ago oh was that here i think I, i'm conflating it with uh, uh hastings but we had an individual that was like, I don't know if this is real or not. Um, sent them to St. Vincent de Paul. St. Vincent de Paul was like, all right, well, let's go to your home and we'll talk. Well, no, not, don't, don't come. Um, contacted another St. Vincent de Paul in Grand Island. And they're like, no, they, they're, they're not truthful. So they protect the money that you give them by vetting, does this person need it or not? A great organization. So St. Vincent de Paul, um also works with getting those without uh employment they also help employ um they did at st joe's so anyway that's another part of the healthcare system and special needs in our diocese um special needs i defined it for us those who 
typically include those with Down syndrome, autism, spectrum disorders, traumatic brain injury, other intellectual disabilities. Um, we have a school here that offers Catholic education uh, for them, Villa Marie, out in Waverly, run by the Marion sisters again. Um, I visited, I did mass for them once, and that was beautiful, just 20 kids. Um, those sisters were so patient and so kind and were taught um, how to give them an education at their level. Because, you know, you might have a 17-year-old uh, who has the intellectual capacity of a six-year-old. They were still able to work with them, had the patience, um, still gave them everything they need. So those in healthcare, uh, if any of that, tug, you know, resonates with you, that's another way that you could help out uh, too as well. All of this is related. So there you go. Healthcare and human dignity. Okay, I'll check the questions again because it feels like I've been talking a long time and I don't, you know, I want, there's, are there any live questions I could answer? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I would say at all stages. Um, so one person to look up is, have you ever heard of Live Action? Um, live Action is a pro-life group. So live action. And there's a video series by a former abortionist. And he he answers all of those kind of questions. Um, from my memory, it was mostly the ones uh, that were fighting. Well, this political cycle, it was all about third trimester abortions. And so the talk was all around that. And uh, preeclampsia was the big one. And so he himself, uh, he performed over, I think, 1,300 abortions and then listened to his story because one day, because after an abortion, you have, to, you have to put the pieces together to make sure you got them all. And so one day he just was like putting the pieces together of the fetus and then was like, this is a human. And so he just had an aha moment. So look this up on YouTube and listen to his speaking. Because I think he talks about most of the issue is centered around late-term abortions when most pregnancy problems come up that are life-threatening to the mom. Uh, honestly, if it does happen in the second trimester again, do the same exact thing. Deliver the baby where the chance is infinitesimal. Um, but that's that at least gives them a shot. Uh, there's something called the principle of double effects, which I won't get into too much. I think last time when I was talking about morality and I dug too deep into the philosophical side. Um, we were almost talking about that, but your main intention isn't to kill the baby. Your main intention is to do an action that saves at least one in the two. And so, yeah, delivering the baby at least gives it an infinitesimal chance. I am looking forward to, they are developing artificial wombs. I don't know if you've heard of this, but um, there's a lot of steps towards that. If there's something like an ectopic pregnancy, ectopic pregnancy is where the implantation happens either in the fallopian tube or in a different spot, meaning like not in the womb, which is going to burst wherever it is in, during a growth development. And so someday we might be able to say like, oh, you have an ectopic pregnancy. We're just going to implant into an artificial womb and then have the baby gestate there. So that'll be interesting. Um, but right now, you have to do the, oh, I'm forgetting the medical term. But you have to remove this section of the fallopian tube, which does result in the end of that human life, but saves the life of the mother, at least. So, 
Yeah. So principle of double effect. I could get deep into that, but I don't want to too much. But did that answer it at least? And the, did this give you a source to kind of like watch? Um, this guy is amazing. I can't imagine doing that many abortions and then just, he just, I don't know his name, but if you research live action, former abortionist, he has a series of videos. He will walk through, uh, careful, because some of them walk through a first, a second, and a third trimester. They use cartoons. They don't use actual surgery footage, but the cartoons show like what happens at during each of those uh, processes. Um, but there's one that just has an interview of why'd you stop? Why are you pro-life now? Um, and yeah, so live action, former abortionist, look on YouTube, his story. Um, he's not a very charismatic guy. He's just kind of a doctor but um, pretty good. Awesome. Any other live questions? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah, so what I would check with, uh, he asked, are there places where nurses can volunteer? I wonder if we have something set up with St. Elizabeth's or, um, because what a nurse can do is like really help intake, like you need to go elsewhere or, or something. So I wonder if places like, oh, what am I saying? Um, in Hastings, I know uh, there was one, there was a nurse who was in my parish, small town, Roseland, Nebraska, and she would help run the, ultra, she got trained in ultrasound tech. And so at the pregnancy, the pro-life pregnancy center there, she would do that. She would run the ultrasound, um, uh, for the for the pro-life um, pregnancy center. So yeah, um, there's probably like Catholic Social Services can tell you all of the pregnancy centers that are low income in Nebraska. Do I have that one? Hold on, I have a slide. I always have a slide. Because there are low income, here we go. Let's unhide it. Oh, sure. But for, for, um, yeah, for, for needy, I would say Catholic social services would be a good, cause I wonder, I don't know, actually, I know here, let me, let me put this slide up. Yeah, but it's good. It's, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful desire. So these are, um, you know, a lot of people say for women's health care, you need Planned Parenthood. Um, so here are the two locations. Versus, oh, I forget what year this was, but there are 167 low income women's health care centers. So it might again, it doesn't have to be women's health care, but there are low income health care systems that are everywhere. Um, Pronets or something Pronets. Net Ministries, uh, that's a something else, but but there are there are. So I like that. I would I would research. Uh, maybe ask Catholic Social Services, St. Elizabeth's. Um, yeah, I think that'd be awesome. All right, next one. Um, any questions on healthcare, human dignity? Help them best you can. End of life care. So this is becoming more and more um, prevalent as people, because the big 
hot button topic now is physician assisted suicide. Um, so end of life care is our loved one or ourselves are advanced in age. We have to start making decisions that are either going to bring death closer or are going to create a burden. Do I have to uh, get every single surgical procedure and pump every pill into me? Um, we'll talk about why the answer is no to that. But if we're talking about the end of life care and death and dying and suffering, the Catholic Church is the place for you. Our theology of suffering is, I found the most helpful. When I was church shopping, um, a lot of times the response to suffering was, um, oh, it's all in God's plan. God will bring something good out of it. And then that was kind of it. So just believe. So just believe suffering is a good thing. Um, mm. Or just pray your way out of it or something like that. Um, in the Catholic Church, the theology on suffering is deep and how it is redemptive and its purpose. I mean, because even our Savior... Um, that's why we keep, that's why I love that we have the corpus, the corpus, the body still on the cross is to show like suffering. The point, the point of Christ's message wasn't avoid suffering at all costs or be so blessed. You'll never feel a moment of suffering. The point was that suffering is redemptive. Suffering can become the actual means through which you are bettered because when you suffer, when something awful happens, you choose, you actually choose. Do you get better or do you get bitter? And so that's why I love the fact that here in the church, suffering and pain and death and dying are not avoided. We talk about it and we display it as something joyful. Um, Lent is one of my big, I've always been a little macabre or morose, but um, but Lent is a big is a big time in our lives that we can actually delve into suffering and death and see the actual beauty of it. We don't shy away from it here in the church. It is, is front and center. So the Catholic Church, um, again, has a wealth about the end of life, death and dying. Again, this is all based on the human dignity. Someone loses their functions, basic bodily, mobility, sight, whatever it is, just because they lose their functions and their capacities doesn't change their dignity at all. Suffering is a call for compassion. Uh, compassion. No. Passion comes from the Latin passio, which means to suffer or to be acted upon. Calm comes from with. So with suffering, with to be acted upon, so compassion doesn't mean that, um, again, I send you $20 or I send you food. It means I'm actually stepping into your suffering with you. True compassion is I'm entering into your suffering. And I mean, what did God himself do? He entered into the suffering that is human condition in a desert with a manual labor job where he was tortured and then died. So Compassion is a big part of suffering. If someone is suffering within your life, it's not the human. The very natural thing is to shy away like they wouldn't want me to see them like that. But honestly, uh, my suggestion after seeing a ton of death and dying, get right in there. Hold someone's hand. 
you will never ever regret holding a dying sick person's hand. You never ever will. Um, never ever. You might, it might be traumatic and you might have to process that pain. Great, but it will make you a better person. Um, yeah, our, our grandma, I think I mentioned it before. I, we were a multi-generational home, meaning our, our grandma was in the house from the day I was born till she died when I was 18. And we saw her and she had pancreatic cancer and went very quickly. But what, but you know, but what was it? Like we were there, like she was in her room. Um, grandma, grandma died and it was a big part of our life. Uh, I don't know if any of you are Irish, but uh, traditionally Irish wakes are you have the body at home um, overnight. Um, this is in Ireland. I don't think it carried over to America, but um, but like you are with the person when they, they suffer. Anyway, so that was a big, big kind of sidetrack. Um, in short, what I do want to talk about, though, the main thing about death, dying and suffering is. The body part and the material part dies and goes away, fine. But the things that survive death are relationships. Your relationship with God, your relationship with each other, those are the things that actually survive. Why? Because they're immaterial. You can't cut into someone's head and say, all right, let's look for the love they have for their spouse. It is an immaterial reality that, that was founded and connected through the human immaterial soul. So when an immaterial soul connects with another, we call that love. Um, so those are the things that actually survive death. And so when someone is you know, dying towards the end, make that connection as strong as possible, is, is my suggestion. Um, again, just because they have lost function does not mean that their dignity has changed. Same person, strengthen that relationship. Um, I won't get into this too much, but... We just talk about palliative care and hospice care. Uh, palliative care is you have six or more months to live. Hospice care is you have six or less months to live. Um, and during that time, I, yeah, this is all like, I'd, I'd go through this, but, but I think you get that. Everything is concerned with the fact that this is still human. How do we give them the best quality of life towards the end? How do we support them emotionally? How do we support them spiritually um, during this time? Because they feel like a burden they feel scared well i say that and some of the some of the people who are strong in their faith it's everyone else has the problem with death except the person in the bed they're like oh man i am ready to go and then mom don't say that um but it's like is, and i'm just standing there, i'm like that's true her faith her faith she's ready so um in short, like towards the end, be concerned with this. I'm going to skip this. Um, again, CCC uh, to 2279. Can we give, let's just get practical. Can, is it in someone's human dignity to give them painkillers to the point where they're quote unquote out of it? In short, uh, the answer is yes. Um, let me back up a second. Sorry. When people don't understand human dignity correctly, you either hasten someone's death immorally, in other words, you cause their death in an immoral way, or you drag out their life with more suffering when it didn't have to be that way. So 
there are extremes to avoid when we're trying to respect human dignity. If you see someone suffering, it's like, oh, they shouldn't suffer. Don't hasten their death. If you see someone who is ready to go, but it's like, well, no, their dignity means we have to keep them alive as long as possible. It's not these extremes. Honestly, you can. You, the use of painkillers to alleviate the sufferings of the dying, even at the risk of shortening the days, can be morally in conformity with human dignity, which is our point tonight, if death is not willed as either the end or the means. It's only tolerated and foreseeable. In short, if someone has everything together, if they have said their goodbyes, if they have their, their will and testament done, that's the time where it's like, let's manage your pain in a human way. Like you should not be writhing in pain on this bed. You should be able to rest. And so we will allow, because of that human dignity, now that you have everything taken and taken in care of, you've had your last rites, quote unquote, from the church, you've said goodbye, everything. Oh yeah, parents, uh, go ahead and go if you need to go. Um, so, so this is an example of something in the middle, the truth in the middle uh, of human dignity. Let's get to one last thing. One last thing. Um, you can sign DNRs and DNIs. DNRs are do not resuscitate and DNIs are do not intubate. Because of your state of life, Say you have osteoporosis. You can sign a DNR that says, do not do chest compressions on me, because what would chest compressions do but break every single rib in order to get you oxygen to keep you alive? So you can, you can sign something that says no chest compressions. Same with intubation. If you have um, you know, cancer, throat cancer or something, and intubating would just rip and tear tissue, and just give you a longer life that's way more burdensome, you have to, in the end, you kind of weigh that balance and say like, nope, do not intubate. You can sign these things. Um, if you are ever in doubt, please just contact me or someone else. In short, when death is imminent and inevitable, one can refuse a form of treatment that would only give you a burdensome prolongation of life as long as normal care is given. Burdensome is the key. Would going through that procedure, adding this medication, doing this or that, would that give you a longer life but a more burdensome life? And let's even talk about financially. If you are 98 years old and they are saying, hey, we have this procedure that could give you three more months, but it will cost your spouse $600,000 and your family that, you can go ahead and say, I'm late in life, and that financial burden is something that I, I, I do not accept, or, or we're, we're okay passing on. If you're a 26-year-old, then yes, you 100% do that. Money should not be the problem. But if you've had a longer life, that's something that you should weigh. But, but burdensome is the key. That's the key term. Burdensome, prolongation of life. So I hope that that kind of shows you um, the human dignity side. And then very, very lastly, I know we're kind of rushing, is physician-assisted suicide is becoming a big, big thing. Um, so what I'm going to do is just in our last 
minutes. I'm going to show you that. Um, let's just do one thing and then a short video, and you can leave during the video too, honestly. But there's no requirement to invest in, investigate the mental disorders in physician-assisted suicide. Only the requirement is that the patient is competent. In short, in states that have physician-assisted suicide, all they are checking for is this human sane, not are they sad. Those are two completely different things. Let's watch a very quick video. And again, you can leave during it, but um, whoops. This is Claire. So again, human dignity would say like not. Again, the problem wasn't her broken neck, it was her coping skills. So if you find someone depressed looking for physician assisted suicide, can you go back to our original point of this night as they have human dignity that is irrevocable, cannot be lost by any function. Do not place your worth on what you can do, what you have, because you have human dignity no matter what. All right, let's pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord Jesus, help us to understand our human dignity given to us at the moment of our conception. Our parents gave us our body, but you, Lord, gave us our soul. With that soul, you gave us every ounce of human dignity. Help us to understand this not only in ourselves, but in others. And if we feel help, if we feel the urge to help others due to this dignity, please help us to accomplish it and bless all the work that we do in this life. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. And the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have a great Christmas break, everybody. God bless you guys.